Good morning. I'm Aiden, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I, you know, a lot has happened in my life uh, since the pandemic hit. Uh, there were plans in the works pre-COVID for my role here at the church to expand, and we just didn't realize the direction that things would move. You know, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, I did start working full-time here as the media director to help facilitate the growing media needs. Uh, we sold our house in Williamsport, uh, moved into our new home that's on the north side of town, and, and that all happened back in July uh, with so much help. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a full-size U-Haul truck unload so quickly. Uh, that thing was emptied out in like 45 minutes flat. And then folks stuck around to help set up beds, uh, put together bookshelves. It was such a huge blessing. We've been in the house for a little over six months, and we're settling into life and new rhythms here in State College. So, and it's amazing how you should get into these patterns of living, you know, certain habits that just tend not to change. Uh, not too long ago, uh, after we'd moved into our new place here, I was driving my family home from the, the Harrisburg area on 322, and uh, you know, you cross the Clark's Ferry Bridge, and then you pass the Red Rabbit on the, on the right, and <clears throat> my wife and I were in the middle of some conversation, and I made sure I was in the right-hand lane and put on my right turn signal and hopped right onto 15 North. Conversation continued for another 10 or 15 minutes until I exclaimed, I'm going the wrong way. And Emily said, what? I'm going the wrong way. You see, 15 North takes you to Williamsport. And for almost a decade, when traveling on 322 West, 15 North would take us home. Not anymore. Well, the point of this story is that we get into patterns of living. And this can be true about our spiritual habits just as much as our driving habits. You know, some of these patterns are good, like spiritual disciplines, but if these patterns are left over from our flesh or from our life before Christ, they can take us in the wrong direction. And this can be very true for evangelism, which is our topic for this morning. In fact, I brought pre-Christian notions about evangelism into my new life with Christ and he's really had to transform my thinking about this topic. You see, evangelism, evangelism is something that is so central to the Gospels, and it's part of the message of Jesus Christ from the beginning of his earthly ministry. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the Gospel. And this goes all the way through to the end of it. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go and make disciples. You know, evangelism is a huge part of the DNA of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You know, the leadership of the, the CNMA describe our movement as a, a deeper life missions movement. We believe that the deeper life, the spirit-empowered life, fuels ministry and missions. You know, I read an article this past week from our CNMA brothers to the north in Canada that, Canada that put it this way, the unique vision of the Alliance has been to marry missions and the deeper life. You know, at its roots, the Alliance was a cross-denominational gathering to support missions, to carry out the Great Commission. And that's why we have the Great Commission Fund today. I feel like it's an understatement to say that evangelism's a priority. It's not just a priority, it is core to who we are. And do you see what our national office has done in putting together this 40 days of prayer? The sequence of it, you know, it began with the holiness of God, recognizing and declaring the glory of our good God who has rescued us. We then moved into repentance because after looking upon the glory of the Lord, how can we not just see how broken we are? 
It's that very glory of God that wakes us up to see there's something better, a better way of living and being in Christ. So we confess the things that we're leaving behind, and we declare the things that we take hold of in Christ. But we do not work out our salvation and sanctification purely out of our own power. We cannot change ourselves by ourselves. And so we surrender our weaknesses to God and allow His Holy Spirit to empower us, which leads to a heart transformation, this heart of stone that's transformed into a heart of flesh that Pastor Seth preached about last week. This transformation is not to be held onto as though it's only for ourselves, though Jesus does a transformative work in us, but He also empowers us to share this good news about His kingdom that's here and now, to all who would receive it, which is what we're talking about today, evangelism. And I really, I really just have one main point and then an application of that point for us today. And each of these point, this point and the application are about a transformation of understanding, a change in my thinking that God has done as it relates to evangelism. And I hope and pray that it's beneficial to your understanding of evangelism. I used to think one way, now I think another. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such an issue on your heart. Uh, this is, this, uh, I think of Jesus as the first evangelist, the first one who was sent, the first sent one. You sent him into the world to re- reach us and rescue us. God, may through this time, through looking at your word, may we realize that, 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 that identity that you've placed on Christ, that you've then placed on us as your children. God, we, we offer this time to you, and we seek to glorify you and glorify the name of Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen. So, my one point for today is this a transformation of thinking. So I used to think that evangelism was only for those with a special gift. But now I know that every Christian is called to bear fruit. Let me say that again. I used to think that evangelism was was only for those with a special gift. But now I know that every believer is called to bear fruit. And and when you think about that, this is a statement about identity. And while it's true that, that some Christians are gifted as evangelists, as evangelists, I've had several friends for whom sharing their faith is the easiest thing for them. You know, if that's you this morning, bear with me. And I pray that this message still encourages you to continue to press into that calling and that gifting that God has placed on your life. But, but if you're like me, and you may have allowed this apparent lack of a special gift to, to frame your identity. And maybe you just feel like, I'm not good at this, so I'm just not supposed to do it. Or I just get off the hook uh, from this, as if I had a get-out-of-evangelism-free card. Uh, You see, it has felt very uncomfortable for me to share my faith. In the past, I've just felt awkward. I've felt uncomfortable bringing up spiritual things with people that I didn't think were Christians. Even in in my licensing interview to become a pastor in the CNMA, they had one recommendation for me at the end. They said, you know, your presentation of the gospel... It could have been a little better. You know, you ought to go take a, a course on evangelism. So I can preach the word to a congregation, but, but, but put me out in the world, and I, sometimes I just feel out of place. And so lies would creep into my head. And these lies would say, it's okay, you're just not an evangelist. That's not who you are. You know, there, there are other people who are gifted. You know, let them handle evangelism. But this is the furthest thing from the truth, friends. We are all called 
to bear fruit. This is part of our new identity in Christ. So recently, I, I read through the parable of the sower, and uh, I was convicted again about my tendency to believe this lie. And God confronted it, uh, this lie, with the truth that we're all called to share the gospel. If you have your Bible handy, let's go ahead and turn to Luke 8, uh, where we'll be hanging out. And uh, this is one of the first parables, the parable of the sower, that, that I ever have a memory of learning when I was a child. Um, since I was an infant, my parents would take me uh, to the creation festival with my family. And uh, even when I was four months old, supposedly my mom carried me around in, in, a, in a backpack and we camped there. And, um, but every year when I was growing up as a young child, I'd go to the kids' tent with my sisters and we'd listen to a guy called the Donut Man. And he gave out donut holes to the kids who came up to stage to help him. But uh, he also sang a song based on this parable. May maybe you know it. Uh, it's called The Sower, right? And it says, The Sower, the sower went out to sow, went out to sow, to sow some seeds sow some seeds in hopes that they may grow. Well, my dad learned it, and he would sing it at VBSs when I was growing up, and, uh, and I would lead a time of music uh, several years ago with elementary kids as part of a church's Sunday school, and it was a favorite. Um, so let's, uh, let's take a minute to read this parable together. This is Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4, and it says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to them, came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, now, Jesus then explains this parable to his disciples to let us know more precisely what he's talking about. So let's pick up in verse 11 where he explains it. He says, now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, right? And then he goes in to talk about different responses to the word of God. So continuing here in verse 12, it says, the ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. So in the path, the seed never sprouts. Satan comes and he steals it away. And then that person never commits their lives to Christ. And is this not in alignment with what we know of who Satan is? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And how does he do this? You know, as the father of lies, lies are one of his primary weapons against us. It's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. And, and that serpent continues to whisper in our ears, you know, does God really love you? But how do we combat lies? The only thing that can defeat a lie is truth. You know, if you're watching today and you, you've never committed your life to Christ, I wonder if this enemy of your soul has been at work. You know, when you hear the word of God, does it awaken something in you, but then doubt seems to take over? Maybe Satan is just stealing that seed away. So, so God, I pray that you would move in this moment, through this message, in the hearts of those who don't know you yet. You, you, would, you would hold back the work of Satan to steal away that word. If you've never professed your faith in Christ, but you, but you feel something tugging on your heart, friends, that is God, that is his spirit at work, saying, come, come to me, all who are weary, I will give you rest for your soul. So I invite you to respond to his call. 
to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead. And it says, Scripture says, you will be saved. You know, if that's you, you know, send us a message. We'd love to talk with you and, and walk alongside you in this spiritual journey. But, but let's continue now in verse 13, where he says this. He says, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. So in the song, this one's represented by a seed bouncing off a rock, which is your head, and then the sun comes and scorches it, and it went like this. You know, some seeds fell on the rock. As a kid, I just loved it, right? Uh, so, but, but what does this sun represent? And Jesus says it is a time of testing. And, and when is our faith in Christ tested? Well, there are so many ways that we can be tested. It can be a, a difficult situation, a loss or a death that, that grieves us, a traumatic experience like a car crash, or, or this can be the result of taking a faith-filled risk that, that doesn't follow through in the way you thought it would, or, or sharing faith with someone and being rejected. You know, testing can be anything that might cause us to fall away. And I've been mulling this over, you know, these words of Jesus about these souls who are our rocky soil, uh, these that have no root. And I wonder if Jesus, who knew the Old Testament well, might have been thinking of Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8, that says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, I, I know this is conjecture that maybe Jesus wasn't thinking about that scripture, but, but it makes sense in my mind that, that the root that could be this trust in the Lord. And we've placed our faith in Jesus to, to receive the seed, but now we must learn what it is to truly trust in Him. And I feel this is both something that we do, but it's something that the Spirit comes alongside us and empowers us to do. Let's read verse 7 again up there. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. It's both our walking out our faith, holding on to the things that we first believed, and, but it's also about who God is and about what He does, but it's also God holding on to us. And how do you learn to trust someone? By being with them. And as you get to know them, to know Jesus, and to hear his voice, then you might take the small step of faith, and you give God the opportunity to show up, and your trust in the Lord will never grow if you never take a risk and step out in faith. Let me say that again. Your trust in the Lord will never grow if you never step out in faith. And even if we step out and fail, it's an opportunity to trust him more. You know, say, God, that's not how I thought this would go. But I choose to trust that you are still good and have a different plan. Trust is choosing to believe that God is who he says he is. So we've had Satan steal the word. Uh, we've had the word die in our hearts because we don't make space in our souls to learn how to trust him. Uh, now the third soil, the thorns or, or the weeds as we sang in the song. And this was my favorite part as a, as a kid because... You pretend to strangle yourself and make a gagging noise. I'm probably hitting my mic there. Sorry. You make a gagging noise and fall down. You know, Donut Man, uh, this was pure 1980s children ministry win, right? So Jesus explains it this way in verse 14. It says, And for, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, 
But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And now this one, it seems pretty clear to me. Uh, the person hears the word, the seed takes root and grows more than the seed in the rocky soil. It makes it past the sprout stage. The person has endured the scorching heat of the sun, but then growth is stunted and fruit never ripens because it's choked out by the cares of the world. And I love the way that Jesus says it in Matthew's account. He says, in the deceitfulness of riches. Now, Jesus knows that Satan is still whispering lies in our ears again. Uh, look at these nice things of the world. Uh, they, they, they provide comfort, power, status. People will look up to you. These things will fulfill you, bring you great joy and happiness, and will solve all your heartache and brokenness. But these, again, are all lies. And the antidote to these lies, the truth of the word. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. It also says this in scripture, if, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And in Hebrews, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking not to the world, but looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So the issue of weeds is one of focus. Are our eyes on the things of the world or are they on Jesus? So finally, the good soil in verse 15. So as for that, in the good soil, they are, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And Matthew's account adds in here again, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is all, this is fruitfulness. And this is the goal. This is why the sower goes out to, to, to sow his seed, that, that some would take root, fully mature, and produce a harvest. One seed producing a harvest of a hundred or sixty or thirty seeds. And what is this fruit? Well, if an apple seed bears the fruit of apples and a pear seed bears the fruit of pears, then the word of God's seed bears the fruit that is, well, it's the fruit that's full of more of these seeds of the word of God, seeds that are intended to be sown in new fields. And so the goal of the sower is to produce disciples who produce disciples who produce disciples. And you see, I made assumptions about this parable that I never really evaluated until recently. And as I read this parable uh, earlier this year, I felt like God was asking me, so, Aiden, what type of soil are you? And I said, I'm good soil. And, but then he probed me a little further, as the Lord often does, and he says, are you? And it hit me that sometimes I'm good soil, but, but, but sometimes I'm a lot more like the rocky soil or the thorny soil particularly looking at this past year that has been such a challenge. And let's admit it, this has been a hard season for many of us. I don't know why, but I feel like I've been secluded from a lot of people. Just kidding, right? So, but still, if I'm honest, I have used COVID and my natural tendency as an introvert to fall into old patterns of thinking and being giving ground to lies again that I had thought I had placed aside. That say, lies that say, I don't have opportunities to meet my new neighbors. I'm not good at talking with people that I don't know. You know they'll, they'll probably think I'm weird or, you know, I, I, am I ashamed of, of my faith in Christ? 
lies. The antidote? Truth. So do the work of the evangelist. Jesus says, I will be with you. He says in scripture that he, he will give us the words to speak. He says, you are a peculiar people. And I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so, God has continually reminded me and transformed the way I see this parable. Uh, you see, I used to think that, that everyone in Christ was good soil, but, but Jesus clearly shows two other types of soil in which the seed has started to grow, but in the end, there was no fruit. I used to look at this parable and apply it to others, and it, it can be used to explain other people's responses to the gospel when they fall away, and you know, that is still fine and good. It's a good application. But, but, but in this season, I find so much more usefulness in this and more, so much more conviction when I turn this towards myself and see with new eyes the rocks and weeds in my soul that are preventing me from bearing this fruit. You see, I believe there, there are a lot of people in the church right now who have received the word of God. The seed has taken root, but their souls, the garden where this seed has been implanted, th th these gardens are full of rocks and weeds. But I also believe that the quality of the soil of our souls can change from day to day or week to week. This is good news and bad news. We can go in either direction. We can cultivate this good soil uh, or the, the, the field here can let it, just let it go to ruin. Just like a garden, we need to tend the soil of our soul, removing rocks, these thoughts or people or actions that would keep us from, from trusting the Lord. And we need to pull these weeds, anything that we fix our eyes on, that is not Jesus. And this is the one main point of this message. I used to think that evangelism was only for those with a special gift. But now I know every Christian is called to bear fruit. You know, my former belief was an excuse to have a soul full of rocks and weeds. But what I now know is that good soil bears fruit in its season. So what does this good soil look like? Aside from what's not there, what's in it? You know, I picked up this book, Scent, uh, in preparation for this message, and let me tell you, it is great. And in the first chapter, Ashley and Heather Holloman outline three core principles of a scent life. And I, I think these lay a foundation for good soil, what it looks like once we get these rocks and weeds out. And the first principle states that God is always at work to draw people to himself. You know, as I read this, as I read this book, it brought to mind uh, the Henry Blackaby study, Experiencing God, and this was a reminder that, that I needed to hear. God is already at work. And maybe you need to, hear, need to hear this reminder today too. God is always at work drawing people to himself. And the implication of this is huge. The results of our evangelism, they're not up to us. We're called to sow the seed, and it is God who produces the harvest. Uh, I love how that just takes the pressure off the situation. The second core principle is that God uses people to lead others to Jesus. Now, scripture testifies this to be true. I think of Philip the evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, the Ethiopian is traveling home in his caravan, reading the scripture, and says, oh, if only someone would explain these to me. And God literally just drops Philip right there to this man. Uh, he's converted and brings Christianity to Northern Africa. It, the church itself is a testimony to the fact that God uses people to lead others to Jesus. It would only take one faithless generation 
for the church to die out. But for 2,000 years, people have been used by God to share the gospel. But most importantly, this principle is demonstrated by the testimony of your life if you are in Christ. My guess is that God used another human in one way or another for the salvation of your soul. Uh, for me, God worked through a friend of mine named Keith, uh, who died of cancer at 25 years old. And before he died, I had a conversation with him about his faith. I went in thinking that, that I was checking up on him, but his confidence in his salvation just shook me to the point of asking myself, you know, if I were in his shoes, lying on my deathbed, would I be able to say with certainty where I would spend eternity? God used Keith's faith to draw me closer to him. Oh, the third principle, uh, and now gets personal, he says this, God continually invites us into the work of evangelism. God wants to use you to accomplish his work. He doesn't just want to use the people who are extroverted or naturally gifted at talking with strangers or to whom he's chosen to give the spiritual gift of evangelism. Look, you may not have an evangelistic gifting, but let me tell you that God can pour that over you in moments when you step out in faith as you follow his lead. I used to think that evangelism was only for those with a special gift, but now I know that every Christian is called to bear fruit. Folks, this is our new identity in Christ. And you know what? I find that I am most alive when I'm joining with God in his ministry of reconciliation. So, the application of this, of this new way of being, of this new identity, is a new way of doing life. New actions to take based on this belief of who we are as a people created to bear the fruit of the gospel. And it's another statement, much like the first one we just had, uh, which says this. I, I used to think that I was not good at sharing my faith, but now I know that God wants to give me the tools and opportunities that I need. Uh, give me tools and opportunities to use these tools. Uh, for this, I want to take a look at Colossians chapter 4. So you turn there with me if you got your Bible. Um, we'll be in verses 2 to 6. And Colossians 2, 4, 2 to 6 says this. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Well, let's pause right here for a second. And Paul lays it out. Here's the first tool. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. First tool, prayer. And the NIV version translate the, translates the verb here to devote. Devote yourself to prayer. Uh, are you there yet? Can, can you say that I have devoted myself to prayer? You may have devoted yourself uh, to a relationship, uh, to, to your wife or your husband, to your family, to your work. Uh, hopefully you, you devoted yourself to your Lord, but have you devoted yourself to prayer? Do you make time for it regularly? Uh, have you committed to pray, praying? Uh, this scripture just convicts me. Uh, tool number two, he goes on. He says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So, I thought you said the first tool was prayer. Yes. And the second tool is prayer? Yes. But, but this is a different kind of prayer. Uh, are there not many different types of hammers, each for a specific type of work, right? Uh, so I look at, at this type of prayer as it being the eyes of your heart, praying with the eyes of your heart open. So are your prayers focused inward or are they focused outward? You know, watchful prayers are prayers that look not to yourself and to your own needs, but, but they look out to others. 
Watchful prayers are prayers that are focused for upward to sense where the Spirit of God is leading. These are prayers that ask God to show you where he's at work, drawing people to himself, and they're, they're full of gratitude that you get to join Jesus in his work. Tool number three, uh, you guessed it, we're going on to verse three here, it's prayer, right? He said, verse three says this, pray all, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So, pray also for us. Tool number three, uh, does this not teach us something that the Apostle Paul sent by Jesus to evangelize much of the Roman Empire was humble enough to know his need for prayer coverage. So this instruction, it, it goes both ways. You know, we must pray for the evangelists, for the missionaries uh, that, that we know, the visionaries that we have sent, but we must also pray for ourselves and ask others to pray this for us. And what was Paul asking them to pray? Well, verse 3 continues, and it says that God may open to us a door for the word, declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, he says. And it goes on through verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul understands that he's not doing this work alone, but is working together with God. Paul may be declaring, Paul is declaring the gospel, but it is God who is opening the door for the word to be received in hearts. And it's the same for us. You know, successful evangelism isn't just up to our declaration of the word. God also needs to be at work, and he is at work opening the door for the word to be received. So I, I think you get the point on the tools that he has given us, right? But now for the opportunities that God also wants to give us. And verse 5, it says this. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. All right. Uh, verse 5, be wise in the way that we're acting towards these outsiders. And this is a demonstration of the gospel. Now, Paul is talking about the ways that we act, the things that we do. Are these actions wise? Do they just demonstrate the gospel? Are they full of the fruit of the Spirit? And he says this, he says, make the most of every opportunity. If it snows, shovel someone's driveway, right? Uh, if you see someone walking in your neighborhood, strike up a conversation. Any interaction with another human is an opportunity. And luckily for you, I don't need to stand here and tell you every way that you can demonstrate love to your neighbors. There, there are resources available to you. Check out uh, the Front Yard Missions Facebook page that we've been promoting. You know, Jonathan Weibel and, and a bunch of people uh, have been posting ways to bless your neighborhood. So be active, be engaged in the lives of those around you. you know, don't let people guess where you stand on spiritual things. You know, flavor these conversations uh, with spiritual words, with spiritual ideas, which is what Paul then says next in verse 6. He says, he says this, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. This is a declaration of the word so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, demonstrations of the gospel can lead to declarations of the gospel. You know, when we had this big snow before Christmas, I, I was out with the kids as they played in the snow with, with some of our neighbor kids and um, neighbors' kids. And uh, my, my neighbor's wife uh, said her husband was inside with a migraine and she had to take off work so she could be home with the kids. And uh, I said, oh, you know, we had a conversation. But that night, the kids and I, uh, we prayed for him. 
And then the next day when I was out snow blowing, uh, I gave him a hand. He was back out. Uh, I gave him a hand clearing the snow, uh, piles of snow around cars. And I could have just let it go and not said anything about praying for him. But I felt this conviction in my heart. And I said to him, hey, you know, your wife said you had a pretty bad migraine yesterday. How, how are you feeling? And he said, oh, he's feeling better. And I, I, was like, I said, well, hey, you know, my kids and I, we, we prayed for you last night. Uh, and he said, well, the prayer must have worked. He said it cleared up right around 10 p.m. And I said, that's awesome. You know, here's to answer prayers. And I have no idea where this guy stands on, on spiritual things. We're just getting to know our neighbors here. Uh, but I hope that this might open the door for future conversations down the road. Demonstrations of the gospel uh, leading to spiritual conversations uh, that can then lead to very clear declarations of the gospel. I don't have time to, to give you more strategies about how to engage folks uh, that, that God has placed right around you in your neighborhoods, where you work, uh, at your schools. But, but if, if this is stirring something in you, in you, you should go check out this book. And Heather and Ashley have, have taken a topic that can seem huge or challenging and have made it digestible, tangible, through breaking things down into understandable, actionable concepts. You know, hoping, helping folks change their perspective from, from this being a duty, something that we feel forced to do, into something that is a joy. You know, as Ashley puts it, he says, evangelism is not a, a have to do, it's a we get to do this. And what a joy to join with our Savior in his rescue mission for the world. You know, what a gift this book is to the church. So, specific applications. You know, pick up these tools of prayer, devoting yourself to them, Make a commitment. And then you might ask, you know, well, what do I pray? Do we pray, Lord, make me an evangelist? Well, no, if you are in Christ, you already have the seed within you. But if you are fearful about evangelism, let's confess this to God. Join with him to dig out that rock. If you've been too focused on yourself and, and don't make time to get to know the people that, that you come into contact with on a daily basis, well, confess that to the Lord and then join with Him in pulling out that weed. And then pray. Pray watchful prayers. Prayers that, that, that look to see where God is moving. Prayers for opportunities to join with your God to sow the seed. And start praying for specific people. You know, Heather and Ashley recommend making a list of five people and then start praying for them by name. And they, they've got a section with, with seven things to pray for your neighbors in the book, but one of them is the scripture that we just read. Pray that God opens a door for the gospel. But there are so many other ways to pray. Uh, and Heather and Ash, they, they explain these ways uh, in this book. And prayer is just the beginning, you know. If you want to, to know more, you're going to have to buy the book. Uh, but in all seriousness, if you used to think that because you aren't gifted as an evangelist that, that you're off the hook, well, I hope you now know that every Christian is called to bear fruit. Or if you used to think that you're just not good at sharing the gospel, I hope you now know that God wants to give you these tools and he wants to give you opportunities to use them. Well, let's spend some time now praying together. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for this time to, to reflect on your word, to, to, to learn a little bit more about your heart for the world, 
and just even your way that, that you have created us, that you've implanted this seed uh, in the hearts of believers that is meant to take root, that we are meant uh, to, to trust in you, God. And, and when, when trials and tribulation or difficult situations or persecution that the words that says will come, God, that, we, that we, these are opportunities to trust in you more. God, we pray also that we would continually fix our eyes on you. And God, we pray uh, these watchful prayers, God, that we would keep our eyes looking out to the world, that, that, that the deeper life wouldn't just be something that, that is to be held within us, that it, to grow stagnant within us, but, it, but it's something that is meant to be poured out into the world. God, we need your Holy Spirit-empowered evangelism. Uh, in our church, in the churches across the country. So God, we pray that you pour your spirit out, empower us to do the work that you have called us to, that you have created us to do. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.